Dear God, what have I done wrong? His voice trembled under the strain of his tears. I've been trying so hard. For all of my life, all I've wanted was to make her happy. How could everything go so wrong? It was his wife's birthday. She was turning 50. They'd been married for 30 years. And for 30 years, he had spent every waking moment of his existence trying to make her happy. And yet, he felt like he could do absolutely nothing right. A broken man. Testimony to the destructive power of love. If you're listening to these talks on the internet, while you're sitting in my audience, listening to my lectures, you are here today because you understand that love hurts. You are tired of the pain, the suffering, the agony that human emotions bring. You want to learn to do it God's way. You want to learn to escape the agony, the darkness, the sadness, the misery that this world brings. I'd like to start by saying that you're on the right track. The body uses pain as the means through which to communicate, to tell you that something's wrong. And something is wrong. And perhaps things are more wrong today than they've ever been before in the history of mankind. Never before have suicide, depression, heart problems, stress been as rampant as it is today. And one of the leading causes of our low self-esteems of our broken hearts, our tattered dreams, is our inability to understand a four-letter word, love. Now we're going to define the meaning of the word love in our next talk. For today I'd like to paint a rose-colored picture depicting what true love, true passion is supposed to be, what we're supposed to be aiming at. and. I will quote one of my fellow theologians and saying, Michael, you're dreaming. Yeah, I'm dreaming. But this isn't my dream, this is God's dream. And the fact that it's a dream shouldn't mean that it's impossible. In fact, the fact that it's a divine dream should inspire you, should tell you that it is possible. Because everything God wants for you is attainable through his power, his wisdom and his strength. Let us pray. <coughs> Our Heavenly Father, Gracious King, sitting next to the river this morning, we'd like to ask you to draw close to us. Allow the scenery, the sounds, the sunshine, the morning breeze to speak to our hearts, to draw us closer to you. Allow every note of every bird song to reveal to us what life was meant to be and how far we are from you.
inspire us, draw us closer to you so that we can enjoy what life was meant to be. To the glory and to the honor of your mighty name alone, this we pray. Amen. Heaven, the name of the dream. So, God speaks, and he says, let there be stars. Mm. At least one galaxy is born. Why do I say at least one galaxy? Well, we can see many of the stars in our home galaxy with the naked eye. Galaxies far from Earth cannot be seen unless you use telescopes and infrared scanners and sonar array. So when in Genesis 1 verses 1, God created the heavens and the earth. In Genesis 1 verse 2, darkness covered the inhabit well, covered the face of the deep. Yeah, Earth was dark. There could have been other galaxies and you wouldn't have been able to see them. So the very least God does when he says, let there be stars, is to create the Milky Way. Imagine that. A God who creates an entire star system by saying, let there be stars. Nature reveals the heart of God. Nature desires to tell you how much you mean to him today, here, right now. And you see, every sparkling star in your night sky is actually a star, like our own sun, billions of times bigger than you are, millions of times bigger than your entire planet combined. A precious blessing a treasure designed to tell you that God wishes to light up the darkest corners of your night. That he is there while you sleep. That, that sentence is so important. That sentence is so powerful. That God fills the deep space skies with blazing suns. Just to tell you. That the darkness is not empty. That he is there. That he can make even the time in which you are sleeping. Even the moments in your life where you are unsure of things. He can add magic. He can add sparkles. He can light up the dark. Unfortunately, 
mankind struggles to understand the value of these treasures that God has created. So God creates another treasure chest. And in order to understand this treasure chest, we need to go to Exodus 25 verses 8. God says, Let them build me a sanctuary that I might dwell with them. I will spend some more time talking about sanctuary in another serious lecture on. I'll do some recordings and some lectures on that too. You're more than welcome to join us. But at the heart of worship, at the heart of your church, at the heart of ancient Judean religion, lies the desire of a living God to walk with you, to be with you, to dwell with you. And that is why he says, let them build me a sanctuary, a temple, a tabernacle, a church, a place of refuge, a place where you can find stability, security, comfort. Let them build me a place where they can find my presence in the darkness so that they can enjoy life. It is within this context that God asks them to design a breastplate that the high priest must wear upon his chest. It is a perfect square. It is as high as it is long, and it contains 12 stones. And each of these stones has a name inscribed upon it. One of the names of one of the tribes of Israel. Because, you see, what God is saying is, you, my child, are my treasure. I have written your name on my heart. You see, the breastplate is made out of solid gold, like you'd expect from a treasure chest. So I want you to imagine looking at a treasure chest from the top. You see this kist. You see this wooden box. And inside you see pearls and you see gold and you see, no, 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 not God's kist, not God's treasure chest. His one's not made out of wood, it's made out of solid gold. That's how precious the content is. The material from which he makes it is so special that in and of itself it denotes the value of the content. You are my ruby, you are my emerald, you are my diamond, you are my sapphire. Michael, that's not the only place in the Bible where it talks about these stones. Oh, I know. Turn with me to Revelation 21. And in Revelation 21, we, we see this holy city of God coming out of heaven down to earth. 
it's described as the New Jerusalem. Now, for those of you that aren't acquainted with integrated Hebrew, Biblical Hebrew is a dead language. There are similarities to modern Hebrew that kind of helps us, but it requires a lot of study to understand. Now, Jeru means foundation. Salem means peace. So this city's name is Foundation of Peace. This city is the capital city of God. It is the capital city of the universe. This, this capital city of the universe comes down out of space onto earth. Because God wants his capital to become earthbound. He wants to spend every single day of his existence walking with you. He wants you to see him, to hear his voice, to walk with him. Wow, that's special. But just how special is the presence of God in heaven, in the year after? Well, this city has 12 foundations. And each one of the 12 foundations is made up out of a gemstone. <laughs> Emerald, ruby, sapphire, diamond. Yeah. And each one of these 12 foundations has a name written upon it. It is the name of one of the twelve apostles. Because you see, dear friend, the value that you have to God is so important that it becomes the foundation of the kingdom of God. It is the foundation upon which the capital city of the universe is built. The fact that you are God's treasure, the fact that you have this immense value to the ruler of the universe, is the ground upon which the capital city of the universe was designed. It is the foundation for its existence. Allow me to explain to you what God is trying to accomplish. Maybe then you will understand how important true love really is. Revelation 21, and we're reading from verses 1 to verses 7. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God, out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. 
and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said unto me, Write, for these things are true and faithful. And he said unto me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of water of life freely. He that overcometh shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. How would you like God to wipe the teardrops from your eyes today? How would you like to end the sorrow, the sadness, the hurt, the agony in your life today? Michael, we're talking about heaven. So am I. I want to read another verse to you. We find it in John 17, verses 3. John 17, verses 3. And this should amply explain to you where we're heading with everything that we're going to be doing in this set of talks. John 17, verses 3. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true and living God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Can you know God today? Yes, you can. Partially, not perfect. We see as in a mirror. Not, not completely, as Paul says. You see, the living God of heaven and earth designed love, designed the family structure, designed procreation, designed your children, your spouse, your boyfriend, your parent, your girlfriend, your grandparents, so that you can understand through the revelation of his love whom he would like to be to you. And this is why a missing father figure in a house has the detrimental effects upon the mother, upon the children that it has. This is why the loss of a spouse hurts as badly as it does. This is why the loss of a mother, a divorce, destroys children. 90% of the pain and suffering on earth today stems from broken families. You fix the family and you have a revelation of God's care. You have a revelation of what heaven is supposed to be about. Heaven is supposed to be a place of unconditional acceptance, support, understanding. Heaven is supposed to be a place of tenderness, of care. When God says, I will wipe away the tears from their eyes, he's not saying, I will comfort them when they cry. He's saying, there will be no more death, neither sorrow. God is saying, 
I can remove the nightmares from your life today. I can bring healing to your broken dreams. He is saying your family, your relationships, your household, the people that matter to you can find healing, restoration and peace through my guidance, through my wisdom, through my touch. You might ask Michael, how on earth is that possible? Dare I remind you that Christ said, for as much as you've done unto the least of these, you have done unto me. I'm going to throw a curved ball at you today and I'm going to ask you, friends, if the happiness of the universe depends on me understanding how much I mean to God. Then how should I treat the strangers outside my house? How should I see the homeless, the beggar, my neighbor, my enemy. Did God create them? Is he yearning to spend time with them? Are they his children as much as I am? Yeah, but there are these bad people. Ooh, please make me look in the mirror. Michael, what do you mean? Allow me to introduce myself to you. Or maybe not, you'll stop listening to me. My dad is a criminal. Alcoholic, draggy. Well, apparently he was. He stopped drinking. And cops are no longer looking for him, apparently. I've been begging his family. Take note, I say his family because I have very little of an actual relationship with him. I've seen most of them like three or four times in my entire life. I've been begging them to help me make contact with him for the past two months and absolutely nothing's happened. Great fun. Can't even speak to your own dad. Growing up, my mom would say stuff like, it's your fault that I had to marry your dad. Ouch, that's exactly what any single boy or girl wants to hear, right? I've heard things like, yeah, you're your dad's child, you're going to turn out just like him. I've never touched a drop of liquor. My police record is clean. I go through painstaking efforts to avoid any drop of alcohol. This doesn't make me good. This makes me paranoid. So if you want to talk about broken people, broken people do stupid things because they're, they're paranoid, because they're scared. They hurt others. 
they doubt themselves. They cling to crutches that they use to survive. Broken, that's me. You want to talk about people that don't fit into society? Pleased to meet you. Michael 101. When Michael was 18, he joined the army. The president looked at his file and decided that for some reason Michael had promise. Can't figure out why. So Tabu Mbeki chose me to become a member of Army Gymnasium, Heidelberg Gauteng. By the age of 19, I shook the president's hand. I became an officer. So now you have an incredibly broken person with a chip on his shoulder. So when it came to certain aspects of my life, I was an incredibly arrogant bastard up to quite recently. I made people nauseous. I made people want to vomit. I was a pain in the netherworlds. You want to tell me how bad your dad is, how bad your mom is, how bad your spouse is? How bad your neighbor is? I close my eyes and I whisper, thank you Jesus for loving me. I am a jewel. In his eyes. He has written my name upon his heart. I am his treasure. Despite. I was talking to a friend earlier this morning. And I posed the question. When you're being nice to someone that's screaming at you. For how long can they scream? Not that long. You can't fight with yourself. It's because the scribes and the Pharisees got tired of fighting with themselves that they decided to kill Jesus. Because they just couldn't fight him anymore. There was no sense. And we all know how that ended up. It changed the world. It set ablaze every corner of this planet to the point where our dates got reset to mark the birth of a God. Because not even death could keep him from showing us how much we mean to him. That is the power of love. That is the power of heaven. This is life eternal that they might know thee, the only living God, and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. You want to go to heaven? You want to experience a sense of the stability, the peace, the joy, the fulfillment, the completion that he can bring? Get to know him. And when you discover how much you mean to him, 
you will discover the value of treasuring every single human being on earth the way he treasures you. Oftentimes when we date someone, we try to impress them. We try to win their hearts. We, we try to woo them. We, we whisper sweet nothings into their ears. We, we buy them gifts. We, we flirt with them. It's so special. I keep telling people that they're looking in the wrong direction. Instead of looking at how he's treating you, you should be looking at how he treats others. What do you mean, Michael? He's in love with me. He's not in love with her. I've promised my co-presenter that we're not going to record her first session. We'll record it later with her agreement. This lady has been through a lot. She's had her heart ripped out and destroyed so many times. And she's still brave enough to talk about it, so I take my hat off to you. She's going to be telling our live audience today one thing and one thing only. When a guy is in love with you, when a girl is in love with you, they will treat you like gold, regardless of who they are. It is an expression of their hormones. They will not treat you like that every day of your life. They will not treat you like that every day of your life. You're living in a dream. And unfortunately, this dream is incomplete. If you want a picture of the rest of your life, look at the way this person treats others. The Bible says for at least or for as much as you've done unto the least of these, you've done unto me, God speaking. Yeah, but Michael, that's unfair. This man is making me so angry. I know I've been there. I was the one that made other people so angry they wanted to rip the hairs out of their head. And I believed in what I was doing. I was doing it for a cause. My church leaders have gone astray. They're misrepresenting God. I'm standing up for the kingdom of God. I'm standing up for my faith. I remember the poor head of department standing in front of the cloister one morning looking at me and go, boy, you have no idea how it feels like. To have somebody searching for everything you could possibly say wrong. So that he could run to the world and go and tell the world what bad a person you are. I looked at him and I said, 
posture, you probably have no idea the amount of responsibility that weighs on your shoulders because you are standing as a representative of a living God claiming that everything you say comes from him and that is not true. You do not represent him. You are human. You are broken. I still want to cry when I hear my childish voice say those words. Because that is true. He does not fully represent God. He cannot. He's human. He just loves God. He just wants to make a difference as human and as broken as he is. He is yearning to show the world that there is somebody that understands their weaknesses. Somebody that knows what it's like to be hurt. That is why God came to earth. Not to step on everyone that was broken and incomplete. But to tell those who are trying that it's okay to fall and to fail because he will give them the strength to get up and try again until they learn how to be victorious. Why am I telling you this? Because I was a living nightmare. And despite that, God loves me. And this old man does not answer in retaliation. He does not hurl insults at me. He does not tell me about my broken background. He does not tell me how insecure I am, how disillusioned I am. He does not publicly belittle me. He keeps on talking about God. Did he make mistakes? Oh yes, he did. None of which was as vile and as degrading as the ones I made. Do you know why I was so arrogant, so defiant, so vile? Because of my understanding of passion. I was defending that in which I believed in. I was protecting that which I loved. My religion, it was my life, it was all I had. You want to see a demon? Tell me about your love life. Because no one can hurt you as badly as your spouse. I haven't been married. Thank heavens, I had to figure some stuff out in my life before I got to that point. I've dated. I 
As a soldier, I've never beaten anyone up since I joined the Corps. I'm an officer, I'm a gentleman. Have I scared the living daylights out of people to try and protect my, my love life? Yes, I have. In fact, I was explaining to someone that was interfering a bit too much in my life that I'm a military officer and I didn't realize the enormous power that that sentence had within it. In this case, I was genuinely just trying to be nice. I was telling the guy, look, if things get out of hand and things turn physical, because me and this guy have been at each other's throats for the better part of four years at that stage. I'm like, if things get out of control and one of us starts something that turns really ugly, you know what? I'm going to lose my commission. It's that simple. It's pretty easy to lose a commission. You've got to live a really exemplary life. You know what that guy heard? You're messing with a soldier. You're messing with a guy that trains infantry killing machines. I'm going to come for you. I'm going to sort you out. I didn't even say that. I have said it to other people. I shouldn't have. That in and of itself goes against what I was trained to do. I woke up the next morning and I had a protective order slapped against me from I think it was a dozen different people. I can't even remember whose all's names is on that list. Not allowed to talk to any of them, not allowed to go close to any of them. can't blame them in retrospect. One of those people left a crater in my heart. A massive empty space that I don't think any human being will ever fill. No two human beings are alike. I'm not saying God cannot give me true love. But I'm paying the price for my own actions, for my own thoughts. You believe you found someone you can spend your life with? Tell me how they treat others. When they threaten to destroy the existence of another human being, they're not ready to get married. Ask me, been there, done that, got the t-shirt, I wasn't ready. If they swear at another human being, they're gonna swear at you. Michael, they love me. Or he loves me, she loves me. Yeah, I know. Gonna paint the picture, okay. My life is the only one I have personal experience in, so forgive me if I use myself as an example. So, I have a formal lunch with some of my other officers' friends. Driving out the gate, the dog walks in front of my car. Beep, beep, get out of the way, you dog. I'm late. Right, now we're married. My formation has a new commanding officer. 
and I was invited to the lunch. And you're late. To give you a little bit of cultural background, when you become a soldier, you join another culture. It's another world. It's another way of thinking. And a soldier is always seven minutes early. I'm not a soldier. I'm an instructor. And anything I expect from my soldiers, I've got to be able to do twice as good. Punctuality is very important in the army. If the tank brigade arrives seven minutes late, half of my troops are lying dead on the ground. If my water rations is seven minutes late, my soldiers have surrendered because they're dying of thirst. If my troops arrive seven minutes late, the town has been pillaged and destroyed by the hostile forces. You don't want me to be late, do you? So when my wife is late for this military function, how does it make me feel? How does it make me look? What people don't understand is that repetitive behavior is hardwired into the brain. You see, the brain stores information in what we call neurons. And these neurons are linked together in what we call neuron pathways. So every time the brain wishes to access certain information, an electrical impulse travels up a neuron pathway into a certain direction. All the information is stored into happy or sad memories. Okay. So now we're going into a memory that is negative. We're, we're accessing the information with regards to being late. And automatically I remember everything that everyone has always done wrong. I remember all the responses to being late. I remember how it influences me. I remember my training. I remember the warnings. I remember the dangers. And I am not merely reacting to the way you are acting at the moment as my spouse. I am not even in the happy files in my brain. I am in the negative emotions file in my brain regardless of the fact that I love you. I am automatically reacting to stimuli, to memories, to thoughts that have absolutely nothing to do with who you are, but stand in relation to who I am. And because this thought pattern has happened so often, I do not think about the words I'm about to say. I just say them. Character, and we're going to talk a lot about character this weekend. Character ascribes the direction and the destination of your relationship. Character is not the way your boyfriend, your fiancé, your husband treats you when he or she or they are being romantic. Character is revealed by looking at the way this individual treats 
strangers. And if you cannot live with them treating you the way they treat random strangers, then you should not be in a relationship with them. And if you're already married to this individual, then I will be praying for you. Because there's a lot of work that God needs to do in their lives, but also in yours. Because you chose someone out of lust and not out of love. We will talk about the difference between lust and love in our next seminar. We're going to end this talk by reiterating. Human feelings are chemicals within the human mind. Any person alive can give you those chemicals, those feelings, under the right circumstances. The problem is, that we treat other people incorrectly. We do not value life the way God values it. And if I do not even value my own life, if I do not appreciate people the way God appreciates them, I can never appreciate you as much as God desires that I should. Love is much, much more than a feeling. True biblical love has the ability, when you enrage me to the point where I want to murder you, that I look at you and I go, you know what? This is a child of God. I will be kind and caring towards this person, despite the fact that she is ripping me to shreds, despite the fact that he has destroyed my heart. I will treat this person the way God deserves to be treated, because God formed her, God formed him in his likeness. They belong to him. They are special. They are priceless. There are disagreements in every single relationship on earth. Do not live in this world of dreams in which people believe that he will never hurt me. She will never hurt me. You will fight. The only question is, are you smart enough to date someone, to marry someone that will treat you the way God does, that will treasure you the way He treasures you? Or will you be fooled into dating someone who is nice to you today because he has some temporary emotions flirting through his mind that will die tomorrow morning 
And then you will end up being hurt. Being destroyed. Crying. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are human beings. We fall short of your glory. We make mistakes. Help us to see the value of love. Help us to see the way you treat everyone. Help us to become like you. Help us to find life partners that are like you. Because only through your wisdom and your guidance can we find the stability, the peace, and the hope that only you can bring. Amen. Before we end, I <coughs> realized while I was praying that there's a popular misunderstanding that Jesus did some stuff and said some stuff that was pretty mean and nasty himself. I mean, he cleaned the temple. He... He walked into the temple with a whip in his hand. But I want you to take note of what happened in the temple. He overturned the tables with a whip. He never hit a human being. Yeah, he may have called the Sadducees and the Pharisees a generation of vipers. That was my favorite quotation at seminary. But the way I know Jesus today, he was crying while he spoke those words. Not screaming and yelling like I was. People go, yeah, he cleansed the world by a flood. If you go and you look at the original Hebrew, the context of that historic event, God could no longer look at the suffering of mankind. We could no longer witness the destruction, the pain, the agony that we had unleashed upon ourselves. It was inhumane to see human suffering and allow us to keep killing ourselves. It had nothing to do with retribution, nothing to do with anger. We need to learn to do things God's way because his way is caring loving and understanding it is the only way through which we can find true completion and happiness <laughs>